you may remember at the end of last year, I, I used an example in a sermon. I didn't realize how many of you would care this much about it. But I have a toilet in my house that's not working. I told you about this. And um, I, instead of fixing it, I just closed the door and put a sign on the door. And it's not really a big deal. When people come over to the house, I say, this is your bathroom. Just don't use it. You know, like, what's the, I don't understand the big deal. I want you to know yesterday, I bought the new toilet. I haven't installed it yet, but I bought it yesterday. And I want you to know in 2023, I'm going to become a man who changes a toilet in 2023. Hold the applause. Hold the applause. I appreciate that. Hey, you're probably thinking right now, as we move into 2023, it's the, it's the time of year where you're thinking about the person that you want to be, the person that you aspire to be remembered as, your legacy, who, who you want to be in your life. Most of us are thinking about that. <clears throat> uh, maybe you heard about Mike Leach, longtime college football coach who passed away unexpectedly a few weeks ago. Maybe you heard this I was listening to a story about Mike Leach and they went back and they played some audio footage of him. And he was just a character. He'd always say funny things. And somebody asked him, they said, <clears throat> Mr. Leach, Coach Leach, years from now, when somebody's writing your obituary, what do you want them to say? And his answer was, well, that's their problem. They're writing my obituary. What do I care? I'm dead. That was his response. <clears throat> but I'm guessing that most of us do care. We probably care a lot about how we're remembered, the kind of people that we are. And maybe you're thinking about that right now as we move into the new year. Jim Martin did a wonderful sermon filled in for me last week and reminded us that God moves with us into this new year, that he upholds us by his righteous right hand. And I want to think with you just a little bit more about the kind of people God is helping us to become this year. To do that, here's what I want you to do. If you've got a Bible, I want you to open it to Acts chapter 11. So Acts is in the New Testament. New Testament starts with Matthew. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. So if you open up your Bible, you can go there to chapter 11. But I want you to keep your finger in Acts chapter 4 too. We're going to start in 11, but we're going to eventually go to 4. <clears throat> and if you don't have a Bible, don't worry about it. It'll be on the screen behind me, or if you're watching online, it'll be down at the bottom. So Donnie Stover, one of our youth ministers, comes to me the other day, and he knows we're doing this series out of Acts, and he's like, Eric, I got to show you my favorite passage in Acts. And we talk about it for a while, and it's this passage here in Acts chapter 11, starting at verse 22. Let me set the stage for this passage. So the early church was Jewish at first, all Jews. But then the church undergoes a couple of special events that that catalyze a new thing in the church, and that is the bringing in of the Gentiles. So one of those events is that the church is persecuted, and it just shows how God can use difficult things in our life for his glory. So the church is persecuted, and everybody gets scattered. And so some of these Jewish Christians wind up in this town called Antioch, and there they start sharing the good news about Jesus that's changing their life, and they start sharing it with their Gentile friends, and the craziest thing's happening, their Gentile friends love it. And they're believing in Jesus Christ, and they're coming into the church in droves. So, <clears throat> the church in Jerusalem finds out about this, and they need to send somebody to investigate, and they pick this guy named Barnabas. So I'm going to read you this little passage about Barnabas. And what this basically is, is like a eulogy 
or an obituary for this guy Barnabas. He's not, he's not at the end of his life yet, but in just a few verses, you kind of catch a glimpse of the whole of who this guy was. Now pay attention to this. Look at this with me. <clears throat> News of this, this is chapter 11, verse 22 of Acts. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad. And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, Saul is who? That's who becomes Paul, okay, the apostle to the Gentiles. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and they taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. Okay, running the slides up there, would you do me a favor and go back to the first slide in that scripture? Okay, let's look at this. We're going to work our way through it real quickly, and then we're going to talk about what this means. I told you this is kind of Barnabas's eulogy. Well, pay attention to what is said about Barnabas at his eulogy. The first thing, Barnabas has the ability to see the grace of God at work. He's one of those people, and you've got these people in your life who you're talking to them about something that has happened to you, and they say, oh, God did that for sure. You got people in your life? who do that to you? you? You got those people in your life who are able to see what you just feel like is luck or just happenstance, and they come to you and they say, no way. That was God that did that right there. You got those people in your life? That's Barnabas. What that ability does for Barnabas, the ability to see the grace of God at work, is that it makes him glad. If I had to guess, I guess that some of you this year in 2023 are praying that God will make you happy this year. That God will fill you with joy. That he'll make you a glad person. Well, pay attention here. How do you get to glad the grace of Jesus? That's how you get there. The ability to see God's grace fills you with gladness. That's Barnabas. The thing about Barnabas is he's so filled with gladness that he inevitably shares it with everybody he's with. Barnabas wasn't actually his name. His name is Joseph. The disciples nickname him Barnabas because it means son of encouragement. That's what it means, okay? Every time Barnabas was with somebody, they left more glad and encouraged because that's who he was. Because he's able to see the grace of God. He's filled with gladness. Every time he's with somebody, he encourages them. And so what does he do when he's with these new Christians? He what? Encourages them. And specifically, he encourages them to stay true or faithful to the Lord. So think about this. You got brand new Christians, just devoted themselves to Jesus. They haven't been at this for a long time. What's his concern? They're going to waffle. And he wants them to stay faithful. Look what it says next. Let's go to the next slide. It says that Barnabas was a good man. That's one of the most important words in all of Scripture, good. It goes all the way back to the garden in Genesis. We've talked about this a number of times. When a thing is good in God's eyes, it is aligned with his will. What makes Barnabas good is he's doing and saying what God wants him to do and say, and everybody can see it. That's a good man. Okay. That's a good man. 
Okay. Then look what it says. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and with faith. And acts to be filled with the Holy Spirit means the ability to speak on behalf of God, to witness to the things of God. You've got somebody like this in your life. Every time you're with them, they just have this aura about them, this Holy Spirit aura that rubs off on you. Everything they say, it's just soaked and saturated with the language of God and Scripture. That's Barnabas. He's also filled with faith, which is remarkable and incredible because Barnabas and Paul take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to people who are unlike them and frankly don't like them, and they go the whole time believing God's going to take care of them. Their faith is rock solid. And then lastly, a number of people were brought to Christ through the ministry of Barnabas. Okay. How would you like it if just one of those things was said about you at your funeral? Just one of them. He was a good man. Uh, She could see the grace of God at work. That woman was filled with faith in the Holy Spirit. A number of people were brought to Christ through his life. Like so many people were baptized and brought to Jesus through his life. Wouldn't you love for just one of those things to be said about you? Every time I was with him, I was encouraged. Wouldn't you love that? And Barnabas is all those things wrapped into one. He's like all the best people you know in your life wrapped into one. Um, Your mama, your best friend, your high school coach, your Sunday school teacher, your preacher, all the best people in your life wrapped into one person. That's Barnabas. I read an article not long ago, and I can't shake it. And maybe this is is why this sermon's coming out in this way. Um, The article compared the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. And the point he made in the article is he's like, I've been to so many funerals and I have done so many funerals in my life. And it's so funny. Nobody talks about what you accomplished in life at your funeral. All the stuff on your CV or resume, nobody gets up there and reads that. What they talk about is how you stopped for somebody on the way to church this morning and helped a sister here change her tire, which happened on the way here. And what they talk about is what you did for your family, how you were there at every ball game and you never missed one. That's what they talk about. They talk about what you did for your church, how you ran this ministry for so long, or you were this quiet servant who made coffee every Sunday, always overlooked, or you took out the trash. Those are the things you talk about at every single eulogy, and he was absolutely right. In fact, I went back and I looked at some of the eulogies that I've done for members here at this church this year, just some of them. So there was the brother who uh, would sit in his study every morning reading the newspaper. And he would read about these terrible accidents that had happened in Memphis. Maybe it was a family whose house had burned down or they'd been in a terrible car crash. And he would call to his wife. He'd say, babe, honey, bring me the checkbook. And she would bring him the checkbook. And he would write some check to a family in Memphis he has never met and send them their way saying they probably need it more than us. The same guy was a grandfather, and his granddaughter, the thing she remembered about granddad is every time she was with him, he would reach down and he would tickle her, and his long beard would scratch her face, and she loved it. Those are the things we remember about people. Or there was the brother past 
about a year ago, um, every time one of you, so somebody from Highland was sick and in the hospital, he would beat me there to visit them. Every time he would beat me there. And then throughout the week, he quietly sent these World Bible School pamphlets, which are these Bible studies that we send around the world to students in countries near and far. He would send hundreds of those each week. He would correspond with these students who were trying to learn the Bible. And nobody knew about that, but those of us on staff, because he would come up into the office and just sit in a cubicle and fill out these World Bible School pamphlets and send them out all over the world. Nobody knew about that. Or I think about this sweet sister, grandmother. She, she would take her grandson to school every day. And he said every day when he got out of the car to go to school, she would reach over and she would squeeze his hand three times. And it meant, I love you. The last thing she said to him as he got out of the car, squeeze his hand three times, I love you. She was widowed when she was 26 years old. Raised several daughters on her own. They're all faithful. They've got children of their own now who are faithful and loving Lord, widowed at 26, I love you. Or I think about this dear brother of mine. When we were taking, uh, when we were home during the pandemic, so doing church from home, you remember those days, and we would take then communion with our family. You may remember this at the end of every service. And every time, although he was sick and not well, he would get down on one knee and he would give communion to his wife every time. And then uh, this afternoon, we're going to lay to rest this sweet sister, uh, Nell Wade Martin Shears. Her funeral's at 2 p.m. today, so I've been listening to the stories for her from, about her from the family all week. You know, she was a really successful real estate agent. That would be a resume virtue, right? And Ron was telling me, I think people probably looked at that and thought that she had a ton of money. You know what, Eric? She didn't have hardly any money because she gave nearly all of it away. He said, I can't tell you how many people have come up to me the last few weeks who mom used or, or who used mom to buy a house. And they said, you may not know this. We didn't have much money at the time. And so mom didn't take a commission on our house. Hey, don't you want to be remembered like that? I mean, look at, look at this, there's this one line from Barnabas' story. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. If that was on my tombstone, I'd be a happy man. If that was it, that was on my tombstone. If that was it. One of the things you may or may not have noticed about this story with Barnabas was this line that the Christians were first called Christians in Antioch when Barnabas was there. So think about that. You and I today, all these years later, derive our name, our identity, our greatest identity more than anything else about us, our identity as Christians. We get that identity from and under the ministry of Barnabas through Jesus Christ. Now, when you think about the kind of the heroes of the early church, the first name that comes to mind for you is Paul. In fact, there's a bunch of guys here at church named Paul. I don't know anybody here named Barnabas. I'd like to bring that name back. You should name your kid Barnabas. He won't have any friends, but you should name him <laughs> Barnabas. Because did you know, without Barnabas, there's no Paul. There's no Paul. Look at this. Here in Acts chapter 11, we're told that he goes to Tarsus and he gets Saul, who later becomes Paul, and he brings him to begin this ministry in Antioch. So at this time, 
Saul, who again becomes Paul, has been converted. He's done some preaching, but he's gone back home. He's kind of like, he's like a promising graduate student who goes back to live with his family and is working at a coffee shop, just waiting on his break. And the guy who gives him his break is Barnabas. And later, he and Paul become the first missionaries of the church in Acts 13 because this guy Barnabas could see the grace of God at work in Paul and gave him a shot. In fact, if you go back a few chapters more, if you go to Acts chapter 9, Saul has been murderously pursuing the church, killing Christians. Everybody is afraid of him. Everybody knows his name because he is a bad guy to the Christians. But Jesus Christ gets a hold of him, changes his life. Paul wants to come into the church. Saul at this point wants to come into the church and nobody wants him because he's been killing us. And look at this in Acts chapter nine. But Barnabas, Barnabas took him, Saul, and brought him to the apostles. He told them, Saul on his journey, how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so, because of Barnabas, Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. There is no apostle to the Gentiles without Barnabas. Most of your New Testament you don't have without Barnabas going to bat for this guy. And why does he do it? Because he's able to see the grace of God at work in somebody's life when no one else is able to see it. That's Barnabas. He and Paul take up the first disaster relief contribution in the church's history, which was unheard of in the ancient world. Nobody did this, take up collections to send somewhere else. That is a uniquely Christian thing, and it's actually a uniquely Barnabas and Paul thing. There was a famine in the ancient world, and Barnabas and Paul take up money in Antioch and deliver it to those who are suffering from the famine. And so all these years later, every time there's a disaster, like the one in Ukraine that we raised $100,000 for and sent over there, Every time something like that happens and you open your pocketbook to make a different for, difference for those people, you're doing it because of this guy, Barnabas. Right. So you hear all those things about Barnabas and uh, you think, man, that guy was perfect. I can never be like Barnabas. He did it all right. I, I would love if that was me. It's never going to be me. I can't tell you how many times I've messed up. That's not me. Look with, look with me at Galatians chapter 2. Verse 13, let me just show you this. You got these Jewish influencers who've come into the newly formed Gentile church. They're trying to mess things up. And look what happens. By their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. You see that? The word that sticks out to me in that sentence, even because nobody thought that guy could fall. But I'll tell you, even good men do bad things sometimes. I was with a brother not long ago. His life was in a real mess. And the thing he kept saying to me over and over again, I am a failure. I'm a failure. And I think... He probably felt like Barnabas does right here in Galatians 2. He gets it wrong. And this brother got it wrong. But the thing is, 
by the grace of Jesus Christ, the same thing Barnabas is able to see, your wrong step, your mistake doesn't have to define you, right? If you were to locate Galatians 2 in the Acts story, you would put it at the very end of Acts 14. So here you have Barnabas who's being opposed to some of the Gentiles and their practices in the church, trying to make it difficult for them. He's being led astray. That's the end of Acts 14. By Acts 15, a couple guys go to Jerusalem to argue that Gentiles shouldn't have all those stipulations on them. They should be able to come in arms wide open. We should make it easier for them. And all of you in this room, mostly Gentiles, are benefiting from these few guys who go in Acts 15 to argue for all of us to come in. And you know who's one of those few guys? Barnabas, right? He got it wrong, and by the grace of Jesus Christ, he got right. He got right. Look at that. Barnabas and Paul later part ways, and he continues on in the mission field. He's martyred, actually, around A.D. 61, we think. He's killed on the mission field. And so here in Acts chapter 11, we've got his eulogy, this good man. So um, why all this talk, why all this talk about Barnabas? Uh, There's a class at Yale University, most popular class at the school. There's a wait list to get into this class. The class is called A Life Worth Living. A Life Worth Living. I want you to think about that. The smartest kids in the country, the smartest kids around the world, the kids who make perfect scores on all their tests, the ones who get full ride offers everywhere who end up at Yale, the class they want to take more than any other class is a life worth living. The smartest kids out there still want to know, how can I live a life that matters? And you're probably thinking about that in this season. Like you're not always thinking about that, about who you want to be. You're kind of just getting through the day, but there's something about the new year and the start of the new year where you think to yourself, am I who I want to be? And if I'm not who I want to be, how could I become who I want to be? Like, how do I start to become who God wants me to be? Okay, so now flip back over to Acts chapter 4. We've been in Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 9, Acts 13, Galatians. Now I want you to come. And I want you to see how Barnabas starts. This great man, this is how he starts. This is Acts 4, 36 through 37. The first time we meet him, this is what he's doing. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Look at that. The very first step for Barnabas on his journey to becoming this great man of God was sacrifice. That's it. To begin to become who God wanted him to become, he had to let go of something. We're not talking about, okay, hear me what I'm saying. I'm not talking about letting go of the good things in your life, the things that by their nature glorify God, like your marriage or your job as a parent or um, your, the way that you serve your church. I mean, I can think of somebody being like um, a dad, theoretically being like, um, I'm going to give up 
putting the kids down at night. I'm going to let my wife do that. That's what's best for me. Like, okay, we're not talking about those things, right? He's, we're talking about something here. It's something, it's stuff, it's land. Maybe it's something you have, something you do. His first step on becoming, on the road to becoming who God wants him to be is to give something up. You see that? You see that? <clears throat> Second football example today. I don't even like football that much, but this one's pretty good. Um, Andrew Luck was a quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts. He was on track to become one of the greatest quarterbacks ever. I mean, people use terms like generational quarterback. Now, the quarterback's the leader of the football team. And he was a pro bowler, multi-time pro bowler, just means one of the best players in the NFL. Everybody thought he was going to be one of the all-time greats. And in 2018, at the age of 29, he retired. Nobody expected it. 29 is is entering his prime in his football career. For reference, Tom Brady is 45, and he may never retire. (laughs) He was 29, and he retired. And then for four years, he didn't talk to anybody about it. He wouldn't tell anybody why he retired. Indianapolis hated him when the announcement that he was retiring came out during the preseason game that he was watching. His fans booed him in the stadium, hated him for retiring. For four years, he didn't talk about it. The other day did an interview, and he finally opened up about why he left football. And there's a couple of reasons, but the main one was, he said, football was making me who I did not want to be. He said, to be an elite-level quarterback, you've got to control everything in your life. And what I found myself was I would go out to dinner with my wife and with our friends and fellow teammates from the, from the football team. We would go to dinner, and I wouldn't let anybody else look at the menu. I would order for everyone at the table because I was so used to controlling everything. And I realized this game was changing me, and unless I gave it up, I couldn't be who God wanted me to be. He didn't say, God, I added that part. I've been thinking about that. We all have things in our life that we cling to, stuff we have, things that we do, not the good and glorifying things, right? Other stuff like a field for Barnabas. Something you cling to really tightly. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's some way that you spend your time. Something you cling to. And at the new year, we're all thinking about who we want to be and who we want to become. And what we tend to think about are the things that I'm going to do in addition to the things I've been doing. Or the things I'm going to obtain that I didn't already have. I'm going to buy a toilet to become a man who changes a toilet. Are you with me? Like we're thinking about the things we're going to add to our list of things. And what, what Barnabas does is he sacrifices. So let me end by asking you this question. What, what do you need to give up this year? to become who God wants you to be. Because we believe it is only those who hunger and thirst for righteousness who are filled by Jesus Christ. Unless you hunger and thirst, he cannot fill you. God, would you bless your people here as we send them to Bible classes? Would you pour into them even more, God? Would this word be affirmed by your Holy Spirit? And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.